Welcome to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. The sag After Foundation believes that contributions made to our culture by performing arts are not only valuable, but also essential. And so we provide free programming and services like this podcast to support them. If you'd like to learn more about the sag After Foundation or access the full library of our conversations or make a donation to support this podcast, please visit sagaftra.foundation. That's www.sagaftra.foundation. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SagAfterFound. Thanks, and enjoy the conversation. Good afternoon. My name is Janelle Riley. I'm an editor at Variety. I am so, so thrilled to welcome you to the SAG After a Foundation conversation with the one and only Charlize Theron. Uh, since her breakthrough in movies like That Thing You Do and Two Days in the Valley, this is an actress and producer who is always compelling to watch and continues to make bold, fascinating choices. Along the way, she has worked with some of the best directors and actors in the business and earned several accolades, including the Silver Bear Award from the Berlin Film Festival, a SAG Award, a Golden Globe Award, and of course, uh, an Academy Award for Best Actress in a Motion Picture. Please welcome Charlize Theron. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you for that. Wow. This is where it's at. <laughs> I have a feeling wherever you are is where it's at. So. Oh, no, that's not true. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Congratulations on another great movie. They just watched Tully. Um, this is an audit share. <laughs> this is an audience of SAG actors, so I always like to start by asking, how did you get your SAG card? Uh, I got it making a pilot that never aired. No way. Yeah. What, whoever created that pilot and didn't pick it up <laughs> must be so angry right now. They didn't pick it up, but I think they released it as a movie like years really? later, which was weird because it's just a pilot. <laughs> what was it called? Uh, Hollywood Confidential. I think they did release this yes, as a movie. Yes. yes. Do you yeah. get residuals on that? Or? I, do, I, I, I think I got two and a half. Um, no, I, I played, yeah, I played a, a undercover detective. Wow. Which made a lot of sense with my platinum blonde hair that I had at the time. <laughs> and were you, you were probably like 18 or 19 when you shot it. I was it. 19, yeah. Wow. So one of those um, Doogie Howser detectives who like yeah. is super yeah. advanced for their yeah. age. That was exactly it. it really well. <laughs> well, uh, here we are today, and I, I actually want to start at the beginning because you famously were born and, and grew up in South Africa. I mean, that's got to be as far from Hollywood as one can imagine. How did you end up here? I know it's fucking crazy. <laughs> well, it's it's really crazy because my 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 parents could not be more removed from anything about this industry. My 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 both my parents built roads in South Africa. So, uh, do you want me to t like go through the story? Because that I is would, such yeah. a crazy. Oh Jesus! <laughs> okay, so when I was 16, I left. I was a um, I knew nothing about acting till way later in my in my life. Like I was nine, eight, 17, 18. Um, yes, a lot later. But I was a ballerina, um, and I danced um, for most of my life from the time that I was like four years old. And I thought that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And I left at 16 and kind of studied abroad and did modeling as a waitressing job. And that's how I kind of supported myself. But I went and studied ballet everywhere I went. And then uh, I ended in New York and um, 
I realized that my career was over. I, I had, um, my knees had just kind of like said goodbye to me and it all kind of tumbled on me that this was going to be gone and I had never thought of a plan B. And so my mom came out, it was December, it was freezing. I was living in a basement with no windows, eating, you know, as enough Hagen does for a nation. <laughs> and my mom so naively, this you know, woman who's just built roads in Africa all her life, has never been to New York, said, you can be depressed in South Africa or you can be depressed here, but we can't afford that. So you have to either get on a plane and come home or you have to like do something about mm -hmm. this. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do. And she said to me, three o'clock in the morning, you love telling stories. She's like, you were never the best. It was like one of those honest moments a mom had with her daughter. She's like, you were never the best ballerina. Oh, wow. She's like, <laughs> technically, there were a lot of other girls way better than you. She's like, but you, when you were the dying swan, you were the fucking dying swan. She's like, that's your strong point. And um, it sounds so ridiculous, but she was like, you know, I hear they make those movies in LA and in Hollywood. You should go. And she very famously said, you don't want to be 80 and on your deathbed and wonder what it could have been. And boy, was she right. So I, I owe her a lot. That's amazing. I've never heard of a story where the parent encouraged the child to be an actress. Usually they sort of fear that. A tiny bit better than hitting me off to prostitution. Just a <laughs> tiny bit better. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, my mom has this... Um, I don't know how she's hung on to it too because she's in her 60s now and she has that thing that I think we lose the older we get. She's just gotten more of it, which you know sometimes can be very reckless, but it's also living your life to the fullest and yeah. really kind of thinking so outside the box and thinking of all kind of possibilities and I'm so grateful to have that, a little bit of that craziness in my life because I'm not naturally like that. So it's good to have a wild child like that in the family. The wild mother is the wild child. Yeah. Um, and then did you both come out to LA together? I think you were 19. No, no, I came out by myself. She, she bought me a one-way ticket. Wow. <laughs> She's like, if it doesn't work out, you're not coming back to New York, you're coming back home. So, and she gave me $300 and I had a couple of checks coming in from New York, but they were out of state checks. And because I didn't have an account here and I wasn't American, I couldn't cash them. And so that's how that whole other story of how I found my manager happened. That's true? Yeah. I was, okay, because for those of you who don't know, you know, you hear these stories about like Lana Turner discovered yeah. at Schwab's. You were discovered in a bank. I was, a bank, <laughs> no, it's worse, a bank on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> Not there anymore. They tore it down. But I now weirdly live and have lived for the last 24 years in the same house that's a minute away from that bank. So that, it kind of brings tears because it's just so crazy that my life has turned out this way. It's, I'm super grateful. So what happened in this bank exactly? I mean, I don't believe anything I've read All on the All sorts of madness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love how people write about it. It sounds like yeah. I totally fucking like busted a lid. But um, <laughs> really what happened was I was just so desperate because I had, I ran out of money, you know, I had been here for a while and I had $300. And I remember I was staying at uh, the farmer's daughter, 
motel, which back then was a rented by the hour motel. <laughs> it was not the cute, quaint little place that it is today with that nice restaurant. And um, I had to pay that night and I had absolutely no money and they wouldn't cash this check from New York. And it was just out of pure desperation that I wouldn't leave this teller. And um, I did, I think I did start crying because I was like, I'm homeless. Like I, and this guy stepped in and he was very kind and kind of helped something. I don't know, he like cashed it through his bank and his account and then gave me the cash. And, uh, and then said, are you an actor? Because I'm a manager. And I was like, this is fucking great. I'm discovered. <laughs> and I, my friend drove me to the bank and she was waiting in her car and I got in the car and, I, and she was like trying to be an actor too. And she's like, I said, I was just discovered. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and, um, and she's like, she's like, calm down. Everybody in, in Holly, on Hollywood Boulevard is a manager, so. <laughs> calm down and um, so I, I actually I thought she was right so I didn't do anything and the card stayed in the car and one night we were going out and somebody saw the card and knew who he was this was before the times that you could google somebody yeah so uh, it turned out he was a legit manager and and that's where my career started that's amazing um, and now you can't even go into banks so all these people are missing out <laughs> You can cause a scene, I guess, at the ATM, but it's probably not the same. Um, and what sort of um, roles were you going out for in those early days? I mean, were you were you good at auditioning? No, I'm terrible at auditioning. <laughs> Even now? Yeah, well, I'm te I'm terrible, and every director who's ever loved me sincerely have shared that very honestly with me. <laughs> Charlize, I love you, but you're terrible at auditioning. I I think it's also just because I didn't know what auditioning meant, you know. So not having the knowledge of what was expected of me, I just kind of like imagine in my head what an audition should look like and it was fucking crazy. But again, that craziness is I think what kind of got people's attention. But you know, that's the fourth audition that I went on was for Two Days in the Valley and You're kidding. I walked in with like a bottle of ketchup because I had to do a scene where I got shot and I like squirted ketchup all over me and I mean, it was not pretty. It was a lot. I think people just felt so uncomfortable in the room with me that they didn't quite know if they should call the yeah. police or give me the role. You know, it was like one of those situations. Because Two Days in the Valley was a huge break. I mean, I, I remember, I think I had just moved to Los Angeles that year, and they had these commercials of you catfighting with Terry Hatcher. And, yeah. uh, and that was the same year you Tom Hanks cast you. Yeah. And that thing you do, did you notice, you know, suddenly you're working with Tom Hanks in a yeah, movie? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, uh, I have several restraining orders out. <laughs> Uh, from him, from probably Rita, uh, just because he, my whole career, I've always talked very um, uh, honestly about just how much he kind of meant. His movies were very influential for me. I, uh, I watched everything that he was in. I loved him as an actor. I had no idea that he was a celebrity because where I grew up was so isolated and we had no reading material on actors. So I didn't know they were famous. I just thought they were regular people who had this cool job. And so when I found out he was famous, it was like, you know, I was like, you're the Messiah, like, and I need to follow you everywhere now. Um, 
but it was so strange that he of all people because I had such a, an affinity for him yeah. and that he at that time decided to make his first film and that I happened to be here and got to audition for him. I mean, again, terrible, terrible audition. I think in the middle of the audition, he stopped and said, let's just take a break. <laughs> just let's take a break. And that's never a good sign. I mean, I imagine it's been a long time since you did audition. Do you remember your last audition? Oh, wow. <laughs> Maybe you blocked it for... Well, I mean, I... I just recently had to like do a voice audition. So no, really? it doesn't stop. I think you, you know, I, I'm definitely not snooty about it. I mean, I just hate it. I know I'm terrible at it. Um, here's the thing. Here's why I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible at it because I, I don't like imagining I'm driving in a car. Like I feel <laughs> stupid doing that. I just feel really stupid doing yeah. that. And so those things kind of like are so in my head when I'm auditioning that I kind of laugh at myself. I'm like, yep, driving a car. <laughs> um, and so a lot of times I'd be like, can we just go to the parking lot and maybe do this scene in an actual car? Like I always struggled with that. So that's why I'm terrible that at That makes audition. perfect sense to me actually. Although that was nice space work. Like I have to say, yeah. <laughs> I would have given you the part. I mean, those were two such different roles, too, um, and two such different movies. Did everything change after that, or is that kind of a myth? No, I mean, the, the thing that I really struggled with and what kind of ended the relationship with the manager that I had at the time, um, in between all of that, when I met him, I the first audition I ever went to, or the second audition I ever went to, was for Showgirls. And uh, Joanna Ray, amazing casting director, um, was, uh, I don't know, saw something in me. I don't, again, I don't know why, because I was like pretending to like dance on a pole that wasn't there, and <laughs> I wouldn't know why she thought that, but she did, and God bless her for that. She called J.J. Harris, who was a partner at UTA at the time, and said, I just saw this girl, and she doesn't have an agent, and she's with this manager, but I think you should meet her. And so she set up this meeting for me, and I met J.J. Harris, who I don't know if any of you know, She she's past since but she became um, the biggest mentor in my life and I'm getting a little emotional <laughs> sorry she changed my career I'm sorry no 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 please I'm no one talks that way about their agent I think it's beautiful <laughs> honestly <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I was not expecting that but she did she really you know and especially the fact that she was a woman and um, I had kind of come from this modeling industry where like somebody like that should not be taken seriously mm -hmm. as an actor and especially not 25 years ago there was like no there was nobody to kind of look at Rene Russo was kind of an actor that I looked at in a sense but other than that I felt like a lot of people just looked at me like I was a joke and she saw something in me and honed in on it and believed in me and more than that she was the reason why I started getting to like slowly I mean we had to work towards and she worked really hard to kind of find those opportunities for me but because of her belief I ended up meeting interesting filmmakers like James Gray and Lassa Holstrom and she knew about stuff up in advance and kind of like stayed on people and really like forced me into rooms and believed in me in a way that nobody 
I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. I had a terrible accent. I couldn't audition. Um, and for some reason, she just really, really believed in me. And so it's why I severed the relationship with the manager, because there was a time where I realized after two days in the valley, I was getting a lot of roles just like that. And mm -hmm. people would literally say, just, we want her to do what she did in that. And even though I had no knowledge of the industry, I just knew that I didn't, I wanted to explore real people. And I wanted to, I saw all the potential in it, but I just didn't know how I was going to fit into what that looked like. And JJ really helped guide me into finding a career that ended up being exactly what I wanted. And I know how rare that is and yeah. how very quickly I could have just become, you know, a Helga in three other movies and then disappeared. <laughs> Helga it, was the character in Two Days in the Valley. I was just going to say. <laughs> I don't know if there was a South African thing or... No, you, that was, that was, it was that character there. Like, we yeah. just want her to do that again. And so I knew, I knew that that could very easily happen. And so she, she found the Tom Hanks thing and, um, and kind of slowly just built at a career that, um, finally allowed me to show different things that mm. I was interested in. I mean, from the beginning, you were working with some amazing people. One of your first movies was Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino. I mean, again, is, are you, is there still a part of you that is like stunned to be on a set with someone like Al Pacino? Yeah, I mean, I have those <laughs> moments all the time. I st they still haven't gone away from me. Um, I still think I'm going to get fired. <laughs> like I like on every job, I'm like, this is it. This is the one I get fired on. Um, and I still have moments where I'm like, you know, I just did this film with Seth Rogen and I totally nerded out. I was like, I'm doing a fucking movie with Seth Rogen. Like who would have ever thought that was going to happen? That's um, funny because you know he's going home and going, I'm doing a movie with Charlize Theron. <laughs> I don't know. if he, He's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know if he's doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I've never lost that excitement of and 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 the gratefulness of getting to work with the people that I've been able to work with that's never gone away for me uh, you mentioned the cider house rules which was with Lasse Hallstrom and won an Academy Award and um, like I said you've been doing a lot of good work up until then and in some big movies but I think that there is a difference when it's a period piece and it, it you know it wins Academy Awards and um, did you find the industry treating you differently after that no, because I wasn't nominated. I mean, the film got a lot of attention, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I, I can't say that that, you know, up until I was, I was in great movies uh, that were critically acclaimed, well, not all of them, but some of them, with directors that were really talked about, um, but I was essentially playing the girlfriend or the wife, and I think when you kind of get stuck in that and there's not a lot of other opportunities where you can actually break away from that, it's really hard to kind of grab attention, to grab, uh, like, have people kind of take notice. And I did realize that for, like, the first 10 years of my career, it was like, oh, how do I make this wife interesting? How do I make this girlfriend interesting? And, you know, then you'll come up with all of this stuff that some director is like just kind of placating you and going like, yeah, we'll definitely do that. And then you realize you're really, you are just the girlfriend. That is yeah. what you're there to do. So I, I don't feel like anything really changed. I was working solidly. I was working on good movies, but as a, as an actor, I didn't feel like I was being really challenged uh, up until I did Monster. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, obviously we have to talk about Monster. Uh, 2003 was actually a great year for you because you were in The Italian Job, which yeah. is a really wonderful blockbuster movie. I loved it. It's such a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's- I love making that film. I love all of those guys. And I love those kind of movies. Like, yeah. I love, um, you know, I think back then there was this kind of snobbery, like, those are those movies, and then these are the good movies. And uh, I think that's gone away, and I'm really happy about that because I feel like uh, if we're all honest with ourselves, we know that we go and enjoy those movies just as much, oh, and you kind yeah. of appreciate them for what they are, and um, there's nothing wrong with that. And I love that that kind of snobbery has left because that wasn't the case when I started out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, it's actually a really smart movie, and I feel like they've been talking about a sequel for 15 That's years. That's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. <laughs> Darn it. Um, and then obviously, you followed that up with Monster, uh, in which you played serial killer. Are we allowed to say serial killer, Eileen Wuornos? Because I don't know if I consider her a serial killer. Uh, it's yeah, so it's, much more complicated than that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, different uh, theories on on what whether she really was a serial killer. Yeah. I do think she is because she did have several murders, and so for that reason, I I, I talk about her as a serial killer. <laughs> Apparently, my standards her, are very strict. Her motives were different yeah. than a lot of other serial killers. Yeah. Well, in some cases, it was self defense. I feel like well, the first time. Yeah. I believe was there's a lot of evidence that we found um, that uh, helped us um, be able to feel comfortable and kind of telling that greater truth of that story because obviously we don't know everything but um, I think the first the first guy that she uh, killed I think was he had just been released from a 10 year sentence for um, aggravated uh, rape and assault and um, had hurt a lot of women and there was a record and he, there we know that the the tape and the plastic and um, all of the stuff in the back of his car was actually belonged to him and so we knew that he was was he was not a good guy yeah how did that project find its way to you and, and I mean was there any trepidation about like can I do this so now you'll understand well hopefully <laughs> maybe you okay you either get it or you don't but JJ Harris um, read I think 15 pages of she received the script in the morning she was gonna come and have lunch with me while I was shooting uh, um, Italian job and she read 15 pages and she came to see me and we had lunch and she said, I just read 15 pages of the script and you have to do it, it's unbelievable. So she sent me this, was it the script first? No, yeah, she sent me the script first, but because I was working, it's hard for me to read while I'm working. And then she said, you should watch the documentary and I felt like that was easier, I'll watch the documentary while I'm in my trailer. And I just remember like 10 minutes into the documentary and I was like, is she on crack? Like, <laughs> what is she thinking? Like, this yeah. is so crazy. And then she said, what did you think? And I said, it's insane. And she's like, you have to read the script. And then I read the script and it scared the fuck out of me. Mm-hmm. It really, because I, I realized that Patty, who wrote and wrote it and then directed it, was not going to, uh, there was going to be no, she was going to do all of it. Yeah. And, that's a big thing to bite off as an actor. And I felt like her passion and energy that she and time and commitment that she had put into it, to fuck that up for her would be so unfair too. So I was very, I didn't know how to do it if I couldn't find a place where I could feel and look like her a little bit. 
And so I think instead of like kind of, again, it's like we always want the challenge and then the challenge comes and we're like, no, I, I don't know. I don't, not this kind of challenge, like a different kind of challenge. Um, and then sometimes you need a J.J. Harris or a Patty Jenkins to kind of sit you down and, um, you know, set your ass straight. And they both luckily didn't give up on me. Patty especially. I mean, J.J. kept telling her, you have to talk to her, you have to talk to her, you have to talk to her. And I met her over like a month, like, several times and she just wouldn't let up and then eventually I think I said yes just because I was so touched that somebody believed that much in me that I was like god for that reason I'm saying yes but I still don't know how I'm gonna fucking do this um and then we just started working and she was really a partner in crime and we held hands and jumped off a very very high cliff and I'm really glad she came into my life very happy for that I know a lot has been made about the physical transformation you underwent. I believe you gained 30 pounds. There was prosthetics. But I'm really fascinated by the mental preparation for a role like that because uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that's something you leave behind at the end of a shoot day. I mean, was it a tough place to be? I was shooting another movie five days after I wrapped that You're film. Kidding. What was it? <laughs> a period piece called uh, Head in the Clouds. Oh, no way. That was right after? Yeah, I basically like... I went on a treadmill for five days and starved myself and tried to squeeze into like a Parisian gown. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, here's the thing. I've never had an issue leaving stuff behind. And I have found going right into something else sometimes helps. It makes it a little easier because you're almost forced to have to, um, you can't waddle. Yeah. You know, you can't kind of live in that misery or that... Um, pain or any of that stuff you're kind of it's like somebody gives you a schedule and you just have to keep moving forward and it's actually really helpful for me um, but I also was so unbelievably exhausted by the end of that film that I was I wanted it to be over because yeah. it was just like it was like being water it's like being on a being waterboarded and just being like please stop this now like so I was very happy to wrap that movie very happy I remember we wrapped like 6 a.m. after like what felt like a 37 day shoot with no sleep. And I was very happy to be done and to walk away from that. And obviously for that movie you won, they had to make up new awards to give you at that point because you won everything, including the Academy Award. And again, was that a big change in your career or were you kind of surprised that maybe it wasn't? No, that was definitely, yeah, that was a game changer. Yeah. <laughs> And it was not necessarily all for the positive um, because it's one of those moments where you can't believe this is happening to you and it's amazing and then it happens. And then afterwards, you're kind of inundated with offers. And I had not had that kind of career. You know, I'd get an offer and, and like one a year or maybe two a year and they tended to be the things that I ended up doing or I would audition and chase something and kind of go after that. I had never kind of been in that position where everything was kind of just handed to me. And then I, you know, I would read stuff and I wouldn't emotionally connect to things. And then people would say things like, no, but like Paramount is gonna make this. And this is gonna be a great moment. And I was like, I started feeling a lot of pressure and I started not, get, not trusting my own gut anymore. And um, that's how uh, Eon Flux happened. <laughs> so that's how you pronounce it. I've always wondered. I know. I don't even think that's how you pronounce it. I think it's 
Eon, yeah, no, it is Eon Flux. It's Eon Flux. Well, it's, it's an Eon A flux. and an E. Yeah, it's Eon Flux. Sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to like guess myself, but um, yeah, it was one of those moments. You know, I remember JJ was again very helpful because I really wanted to go make North Country, which I did. And that was the movie that I really wanted to go and make. And JJ was like, well, we'll figure out and you can do both. And like things like that started happening. And I was like, this is not me anymore. Like now I'm feeling like I'm being pulled into so many directions. And um, that happened for like a year. And then I just kind of sat everybody down and I was like, I can't do this. Like I just, I can't feel this way about my work. It's too stressful. I don't, if I can't enjoy it. I don't really want to do this. Like I've I've had a career up to then where I was really enjoying it. I felt empowered. I felt like my my decisions were mine and I was kind of making my career mine and owning that and and then all of a sudden it was a little bit like all of that disappeared and I just didn't like it. Mm -hmm. um, I meant to ask was Patty... Which again, by the way, like what great problems to have. I'm like <laughs> bitching about having all these opportunities given to no. me. I just, li I just yeah. literally had a moment where I was like, did I just say that? <laughs> but they um, are they Really are grateful, problems. but it was a little overwhelming. Of yeah. course, yeah. So hard. It was really hard. It was a hard moment in my life. <laughs> You're you're being humble, but it, it is hard. No, I making any working kind of in a decision. mine is hard. Like have some perspective. Which you did white on lady. screen. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Uh, I was curious about Patty Jenkins though, because was that the first time you worked with a female director? Yes. Oh, I did it again. <laughs> Are you hurting yourself? No, here? I just got very excited. Okay. Super. Yeah. No, that was the first time. Um, yeah, which is just crazy when you yeah. think about it, because I'd been working for quite a while. But yeah. then in rapid succession, you worked with Nikki, is it Caro or Caro? Caro. Caro. Um, and uh, Karin Kusamani. Kusama, yeah. yeah. Dang, I am bad with these. Pronounce no, all three I'm of them for me. <laughs> uh, Patty Jenkins, Nikki Caro, and Karin Kusama. I was so proud I got the Karin part right, because yeah. I always thought it was Karen, and I yeah. butchered the last You're name. You're doing great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I mean, I don't know if that if you were intentionally seeking out female directors or it was just like kind of a happy coincidence because they it were really very was rare. A, it was a happy coincidence. It was a great year in our industry where all three of those women were making incredible films. It's sad that it was only three of them, but um, and there was a few others that I'm, we're not talking about right now, but because it doesn't involve me. But um, <laughs> uh, no, it was a great moment to mm -hmm. be able to work back to back like that with three amazing women. I mean, I mean, I don't mean to be reductive about it, but but do you notice a difference on sets when it is a female filmmaker? I, I here's what I notice. I just notice that when it's the right filmmaker, it's pretty fucking amazing. And so I don't want to. I have I, in my experience, I've never had that feeling of like, oh, it's because it's a woman. Patty Jenkins was unbelievable because she was meant to tell that story, and I don't think anybody else. And that's not just a male female thing really understood Eileen the way that she did. She was meant to tell that story. And I feel the same about Nikki and, and Karin too. I feel like what you realize once you work with female directors and great ones is that we're all meant to be telling stories and that's where diversity comes in too. You know, we need in order to tell authentic, diverse stories, we need I, we need those kind of people to tell those stories and we're lacking in that and that's what I realized that that realized very much at that time in my career. Is that around the time you got into producing yeah. as well? Is that one of the reasons? 
It was on Monster. It was because I was so scared of the project. And I think my biggest fear and the biggest reason why I couldn't just say yes to it was because, and I touched upon it a little bit before, this idea of uh, bringing more to enrich a character, you know, by like, can I do this with this wife? Can I do, can we do this? This would be interesting. And then having somebody kind of like smile at you and condescendingly thinking, this is never gonna happen, and then it doesn't. And so my fear was that if I was gonna put myself out there and take a risk like that, I didn't wanna be at that mercy again of like somebody like just saying they're gonna do all this stuff and saying they're gonna, and then them not doing it. And JJ said, you should produce it. You should have some control over it and you should protect yourself in a way where if that's what you're gonna go and do, that that's protected. And so, um, I was, you know, I had a, a deal in place that really protected me on what the final cut was and what the film would be. And there were a lot of things that, you know, we couldn't find a distributor up until the last day that we needed a, a distributor. We were about to sign a deal with Blockbuster. Wow. And we had negotiated this deal because we couldn't find a distributor. And we had negotiated this deal with Blockbuster straight to video deal. And we were, our lawyers were bringing it to the editing room for Patty and I to sign. And an hour before the paperwork came, somebody said, uh, Bob Burney just called from New Line and uh, Mel Gibson's movie that he was going to put out, uh, Passion of the Christ, decided to go into reshoots and they were gonna push the movie for another eight months. And so he had a slot open and it wow. literally happened within a two hour span. That's amazing. Yeah. And whatever happened to that Mel Gibson movie? It doesn't seem like it any, ever went anywhere. You can Google it. <laughs> I know you have your own production company. Um, is it Denver and Delilah Films? Is it true? That's named after your dogs? Yeah. I love that. What kind of dogs? They were uh, Cocker Spaniels. Oh. They have since passed. But I, I named my company after them because something weird happened where up until that point, I was living out of a suitcase for four years that... Um, literally were being held together with hair bobby pins. Like the sides were like bobby pin glued together because the zipper had broken. But my life was that of a gypsy and I just would pack up and go and pack up and go. And well, I was in LA for like a month and I saw this sign and I walked into this house and there were these little puppies and I left with a fucking puppy. And I was like, what am I thinking? I have a suitcase <laughs> with bobby pins holding it together. I don't have, you know, anything keeping me here why am I doing this and then a month later I got another one and I was like what is wrong with me <laughs> and I and I you know I'm not like a hokey person at all I'm super cynical and cold but uh I believe that these dogs knew something they knew mm -hmm. I was gonna stay here for a while and so I did I named the company after them because I felt like they knew more than I did at that time wow that's amazing um, and I was, I didn't realize, you know, you also do projects that you don't appear in. You're a producer on Mindhunter. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, Girlboss as well. Yeah. That's so, um, so this is not just like an in-name only take a producer credit. This no, is I, really think a, I think a good 30% uh, of what we now, probably more, 40% of what we produce is not anything that I'm acting in wow. on any level. Yeah. That's a, and you're not necessarily always a producer on your movies. No. Yeah. I, uh, um... <laughs> I want to, I'm sorry, I jumped around because I wanted to go back to North Country because I love this movie so much. Mm -hmm. And it is weirdly timelier than ever, um, all these years later. Um, you're playing someone based on a real character. 
sort of like in Monster, although obviously you couldn't meet Eileen. When you do something like that, um, is there an extra responsibility you feel in portraying a real person? Yeah, I mean, I felt it for Eileen as well. I didn't, I feel you, I think the, the biggest thing for me personally is just, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to tell a story that's not, you know, again, he, the human condition is always about greater truth and we're never going to know the facts about everything, but you can really kind of work towards that. And so it's not so much that I want to let somebody down. I just, I just want to be able to know that that we walked towards the truth as much as we possibly could. And whether that's pretty or not so pretty, that at least we stayed on that road and it didn't become or have any agenda mm -hmm. or anything on its sleeve. Like th those are the things that I think I worry about the most. Like I don't want to get political. I don't want to get, I don't want to get messaging. I just, it's about the human being and the human spirit and those flaws and those mistakes. Those are the things that I'm the most interested in. And so, you know, Lois was an interesting character too, a person too, that's the character that I play in North Country because she, I met her for maybe 20 minutes. She came to the set. Um, she's, her life has had a real effect on her and she, uh, you know, she's not, she's at a place in her, in her life where she doesn't necessarily want to like sit down and share all of this stuff. and. Uh, it's probably not the best thing for her to do that. So we had to rely on Michael Seitzman doing a lot of research and, and finding that information for us. And most of the time, I think, when I play real people, I haven't necessarily had access to the person, and I think it's a good thing. Because I can imagine if somebody was telling my life story, I'd be like, listen, this is what really happened. <laughs> it wasn't that I was drunk, it, um, <laughs> and I didn't do that. Like you know, I yeah. just I see. I think we kind of edit our lives in a way that is maybe not necessarily seeing it from thirty thousand feet in the air. And sometimes I think you need that outside perspective of people around you, kind of telling your story. I just I I, I I've definitely found that helpful. Um, and I also then I feel like if somebody tells you like listen I wasn't drunk and then you go and you're like no I think you were drunk and then you do it and it's like then it's just that feels yeah. weird right <laughs> so I try to eliminate that middle part of it I mean it could change I could it could happen with somebody else where I would want to I would want to meet I don't know I don't know it could change but it hasn't so far for me and you played Br Brit Elkin Ek Ugh, God, so bad with last names no, you're doing great. you played Peter Sellers' <laughs> wife Brit speaking of drunk <laughs> <laughs> oh someone caught on finally um, and that's like when you're playing somebody that iconic I mean that's you got to walk a line between sort of imitation because she's she's very famous for her look and her, vo her voice but also creating your own character yeah, that's like, that was weirdly, like I, I asked her and she's so sweet. I asked her to come to the can screening with me. And oh my God, I didn't know you got to meet her. Yeah, well, I met her afterwards. Oh, okay. And so she, they flew her out to Cannes and, and I got to meet her and I said, um, will you be my date? Like, come with me tonight. And so she watched the movie for the first time sitting next to me, which was a fucking horrible mistake. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine anything worse, yeah. you know? And she was super, super gracious yeah. afterwards. But you could tell that she was a little bit like, oh, okay. <laughs> but she was so sweet. But I will never do that to somebody ever again, ever. <laughs> if they don't ever see me, that's a good thing. Yeah. Like, it's just weird. 
Uh, two movies, uh, recent movies I want to touch on real quickly before we get to Tolly are obviously Mad Max Fury Road and Atomic Blonde. Um, not just because they're two of my favorite movies and you kick so much ass in them literally and figuratively, um, but did you imagine becoming like an action icon at this point in your career? No, I <laughs> never imagined anything and and again, this I didn't even imagine. I was hopeful. I was like, if this happens, I'd be really happy. If I could support myself only acting and not having to have a second job, that was the dream. Literally, that was the dream. I was like, if I don't have to have a second job and I can like pay my rent, boy, will I be happy. <laughs> so everything else has been like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, no, never. But again, I, <clears throat> like I said earlier, I've always loved those movies. I've always loved... Um, I loved the original Mad Max films. Like I grew up on them. Like they're very popular in South Africa, and so you know, the, just when I heard it, I was like, "Yes!" I mean, what can I just be like a sidekick? Like I would love to be in a Mad Max movie. So, you know, it's, I've always loved those movies. It was like a later discovery for me, mm -hmm. and it's nice that actors now can kind of do everything and not be judged for it or thought of as like not serious or not a good enough actor to do stuff like that. Mad Max won like several Oscars. I yeah, love bitch. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love that. I'm an idiot. Uh, I, I personally think George Miller is a, is a fucking genius. I just... Um, you know, I, I think he's just one of those people that have raised the bar to a level that we could only hope to get close to. I think he's just an unbelievable filmmaker. He's just one of few yeah. that is just ridiculously, stupidly talented. Have you guys talked about, I'm just going to keep asking you about sequels, because yeah. I know that there's been talk of a sequel to that one as well. So when he developed um, Fury Road, he wrote the other two films. And so they were all written before we even showed up. Um, and I think he did them for a backstory because they kind of play as each of uh, both characters' backstories. Um, but I don't really know what's going on. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I know there's some stuff happening right now that might make it a little bit more difficult, but I don't really know the details of it. I know that if George called me tomorrow, I would, I would be, you know, what time and when mm -hmm. do we show up? But uh, other than that, I don't know if anything's really moving on it. But I know the scripts are there. I mean, they're such great characters and such great movies, but, um, and they're so much fun for us, but I have to imagine they're also hard to do. They look exhausting. Again, working in a mine is hard. <laughs> okay, but being in a desert, driving a truck with one arm is and also... Tom Hardy. Yeah. Yes. That <laughs> <laughs> was a hard movie. It yeah. was, I think, for all of us, yeah. for everybody. And that's, you know, the entire crew. It was logistically a hard movie to make. It also, like, the lead up to it was... We we were on that thing for like four years before it mm -hmm. actually even got made. So our lives were kind of dedicated to this thing that just we just couldn't get it going. We were in Australia like two weeks away from shooting and then they pulled production. And it was it was just I think it kind of grinded down on all of us. Yeah. And by the time we actually ended up making it, 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 it was tough. It was really tough. Again, when we wrapped that one, I was ready to get yeah. the fuck out of there. <laughs> I, rem I remember, you know, my, my kid, my first baby was a baby. I left, God, Jackson was like four months. Wow. So I was a new mom on top of it too. And I was just in a desert. Like we all started calling it like a dirty ashtray. We felt like we were just working in a dirty ashtray every single day. 
it was a hard movie because it was the physical to maintain your body at that level physically is really really mm -hmm. hard we shot for over six months seven months and it's hard to work long hours have a young child and then have to maintain your neck and your upper body like a football player it's really hard it's like things like that i think people don't realize like when you have all the time in the world it's super easy but when you're actually making a film and you realize your body is going to not maintain and the mental part of it and just staying in that world again being consistent with what the character is going through and not having things like a script and not knowing <laughs> what you were shooting like yeah. we had call sheets with no scenes on them like it was wow. like you show up in the morning they'd be like there's four units shooting where do you want to go and I was like really you're asking me <laughs> I don't know um, but it's a process that works for George mm -hmm. and you just had to kind of surrender to it and that was hard it was really hard Maybe next time he can put you in one of the Babe sequels. Yeah. Because I can't get over that the guy who did Mad Max I know. also did Babe, Pig in the City. I know, and he doesn't eat bacon because of that. Are you serious? Yeah. That's it's adorable. So sweet. It's really sweet. Oh I, I try gosh. to like give him a, a bite of my salad with bacon in it or something. He's like, I can't. He's the sweetest guy in the whole world. <laughs> so and then I felt like such a dick. I was like, I can't believe I just offered him bacon. <laughs> Uh, so that brings us to Tolly, and I know you previously collaborated with director Jason Reitman and writer Diablo Cody in Young Adult, another movie I absolutely love about a very complicated character. Were you guys looking to collaborate again since then? Yeah, yeah, we definitely, um, Jason and I stayed in touch with each other and Diablo, and, and um, you know, you say that, like sometimes you get out, you're like, we should do this again, yeah. it just never happens again. And um, Jason and I became friends and he, you know, I really have him to thank and Diablo because she ended up coming up with the idea and pitching it and, and saying maybe this is something we could do together again. And I'm super grateful that they're actu they actually got off their asses and did it because <laughs> that doesn't usually happen. But the three of us just love working with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of hoping Patton Oswalt would be your husband. No. Because you guys had such... Yeah. I mean, Patton is like... Ooh, deep in my heart, I love that guy. You guys had such great chemistry in Young Adult. It's kind of amazing. Jason has this real talent for casting. Yeah. It's really crazy, and I felt the same thing with Mackenzie. Like, he yes. just really knew the two of us would be perfect, mm -hmm. and I don't know how he does it, but he, he has yet to get it wrong with me. Every actor he's ever placed me with has just been like, wow, like, this person is making me so much better than I could ever be in this room alone. I was so curious about that with Mackenzie because this may sound strange, but did you do a chemistry read or no. did he just know? No, I think he read with her. Yeah. Um, I think she auditioned for something. I don't know what, but I think she auditioned for something of his uh, earlier, like another movie. Um, and I only found that out when we were doing the press junket. She kind of like threw him a little side dagger. She's like, well, I didn't <laughs> that, get that role. Um, but I think she, he remembered her mm -hmm. and um, he did not mention, the same with Patton, he didn't mention anybody else except those two wow. people for those roles, yeah. So was it kind of written with you in mind if, if Diablo came up with this idea? Is it, it was, Tully? Yeah. yeah. Not young adult, but Tully was, right. yeah. Wow, that's, in, that's so flattering, but then also, I'm, it, it's, again, it's somebody. Well, again, I, I just realized I should probably not say that because I don't know that for a fact, but I think so. Yeah. I think so. Well, I mean, it's sort of like, again. But I don't know for a fact. <laughs> but I think so. They knew you could rise to the challenge because it is, it's a really complicated role. And again, and we could talk about the physical because I think you put on 50 pounds. 
for this movie, but again, the mental headspace that you're going through in this, and I know you became a mother just six years ago. I mean, do you think you could have played this role 10 years ago? Yeah, but I think it would have been different. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think you have to be a heroin addict to play a heroin addict, but I do think there was a nice gift that came with that. Um, this script came to me um, four months after my second baby came to me. And so I was literally in the throes of uh, a four-year-old at the time needing a, a mom and, and me just not being a mom because I was so exhausted from having the second one. And so I literally was reading the script and I was like, this is my life right now. <laughs> like, oh my God. Um, and so again, it was like a, a, a serendipitous that it just kind of showed up at that time. And um, it, it, all, it all happened really, really fast. Mm -hmm. I think Diablo wrote the script in six weeks. That was the draft we shot. We were shooting it, I think, five, three months later. It was, five months later it was done. Like, wow. it was crazy. That's so weird to think that like a year ago this didn't exist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and was it a tough shoot? Because again, you're going to places that I can't imagine are fun to be, but you're with great people. Yeah, I, I had a really, really hard time on this shoot. Mm. I wasn't prepared for, I didn't experience this on Monster, and I think, I don't know why, maybe it's just because I'm older, but I experienced depression for the first time in my life. Um, and I think it was from just how I was eating and the amount of oh, sure. sugar. Because every time I've gained weight, it's like that the first month you're just like, I get to eat everything I love, which is like pizza and pasta and bread and like that's my thing. And then I plateaued and somebody, the devil told me about sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and I started hitting the Cokes and it was just like a dark tunnel. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had, you know, I was working with four kids on set and then I go home to my own kids and my youngest was five months at the time. Wow. And it was tough. I became so lethargic and I had no energy. I literally couldn't. I remember we would shoot scenes in that house and I would just, I would just lie on the carpet like next to the couch because I was too lazy to go back to my trailer. I just had no energy. And I'd just be like, can I just, and like crew would like walk, step over me. And it was oh, just God. so, somebody would bring me pizza and I'd just lie on this dirty carpet and shoving pizza down my throat. Yeah. And it was just, just not pretty. <laughs> I was going to ask if it was a freeing experience, but it sounds miserable. I, Jason and I talked about it. I was like, I felt like I let him down because we definitely did not have as much fun as when we yeah. made Young Adult. Uh, we definitely laughed a lot on that. I was just really down. I was really, I mean, again, it, I was felt lucky because it really worked for the character yeah. and I had never had postpartum depression myself. So, you know, I thought I was just working on the physical and really what I got was a good understanding of what the mental was. Mm -hmm. And so I, I take that gift and I'm grateful for it, but I wasn't prepared for it. And I think that threw me for a loop and I kept apologizing and he was like, stop apologizing. This is great. This yeah. is great. Keep going. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll just... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not, yeah. I'm sorry, Not... I feel a little bad laughing, but... <laughs> Uh, I want to take some quick questions from the audience if we have time. Um, uh, again, obviously, I'm terrible at pronouncing people's names, so forgive me if I get the, uh, them wrong. Um, Trip Langley? Trip, did you sneak out or use a fake? Oh, there you are. Hi. Did I bore you that much? 
your performance in Monster is the film performance that has had the most impact on me as an actor. What performance affected you and has inspired your artistry? Oh, wow. Yeah. Thank you. Um, a lot. There's a lot of performances that have really kind of always stayed with me. Um, and sometimes, like, you know, things that I think people somewhat weirdly are surprised by. Like, Ripley was a character that really, like, for me as a woman, just, like, was a game changer. Mm -hmm. um, and it started even, I think, before I started making movies. I remember seeing that movie, and just for me as a performer, as a woman, it just, it was like the glass ceiling was broken, and I just I was like, oh, shit, I can do all of that? Um, and then, of course, like, I grew up, with a lot of uh, Jessica Lange and Susan Sarandon and Meryl Streep, Kramer versus Kramer and Sophie's Choice. I remember like, you know, being 15 and just like watching those movies over and over and uh, thinking, you know, that was what life was gonna be. Um, turned out it wasn't, but that's okay. <laughs> Which is a good thing, right? Um, not yet, maybe it's coming, um, but I, those those women, um, you know, Francis Farmer, Francis. That movie's just called Francis. Yeah. Francis, that performance, Jessica Lange in that film. I think like, uh, like, did something to me as a young girl for sure. Um, trying to like think of, there's a lot of a lot of those women. Their work really kind of did a lot for me. I'm trying to think. Have you gotten to work with any of them? Um, no, I haven't. None That's of those amazing. people I just mentioned. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. Although you mentioned Ripley and you got to be in an Aliens movie. Although, do we officially call it an Aliens movie, Prometheus? You have to ask um, Rip, uh, Ripley. Ripley. Rip, Ripley Scott. Ridley Scott about that. I don't know if he calls it that. I think he does. He talks yeah. like weirdly about it. I don't quite understand it. <laughs> so he didn't pitch it to He's you as an alien. He's a smart guy. No, yeah. I mean, I think it, he really kind of, when we were working on it, treated it like a standalone. Right. And then there were some things that happened at, in the edit, editorial process that I realized that he wasn't sharing with us. So then I was really confused, <laughs> but, but I loved being in it. I loved working with him. Uh, we have a question from Taylor um, Polidor, is that correct? Oh, hey, um, you often portray such strong and empowering roles. Do you believe that Hollywood is beginning to create space for even more powerful female roles? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I feel like being in this industry for, uh, where are you? There you are. For the last, uh, okay, we don't have to go into the home. But um, <laughs> we've always had these like little moments where things would happen and it's like, oh, and then three months later, nobody would be talking about it anymore. And I feel like this last year and everything that's happened, um, if I see change that is is going to be sustained. I feel like change is happening. Things are happening right now where doors can't be shut or closed on what's kind of been opened and shown. And that to me as a woman for myself is exciting to be alive and working and this time. I mean, obviously it would have been great if that was the case 20 years ago, but I'll take it now. I'll take it. And I'm happy that I'm part of it. And I'm you know, more than anything, I look at my two girls and I'm so happy that they're gonna benefit from this. And so I think that drives me to even wanna make sure that we don't screw this up and that we actually do this in a way where it can sustain and, and be something that is talked of in the past, caveman style, like done. Like, do you remember those days? Can you believe that? Um, 
So I am very, very optimistic, and I'm usually not. <laughs> um, sort of along those lines, we have a question from Jonathan Moore. Um, wants to know, was there ever a time when you wanted to quit acting? And he wanted to know, if so, why? But I'm, I'm more curious about uh, how you persevered through it. I don't think I ever wanted to quit. I've never had that, 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 I've never, I don't think I've ever thought about quitting. I've definitely had moments where I've wanted to kind of to have myself get out of situations for sure, but I never thought, oh my God, it's like acting. Um, I really, really love what I do. I really like, now I'm gonna fucking cry again. <laughs> I feel really lucky that, you know, my, my mom used to say to me, the greatest gift that you can get in life is to do something in your life that doesn't feel like a job. And I feel so lucky that I found something that has been such a gift to me. And I really mean that because I feel like when you're an actor, it's not so much like just finding character, finding character, it's they leave something on you too. It's, that has always been like, for me, the greatest thing about leaving a film is like how much of that investigation and that kind of diving into somebody's soul and their, and it's usually like the bad things. It's the things that you know we, we, we don't wanna maybe look at, the things that are not so pretty about the human condition that, that, that you leave and you go, I understand people a little bit more and it makes me feel a little less scared and it makes me feel a little less alone. That has been such a gift for me. I feel like I am a better person because of that. I'm so glad you really, really love it because you're really, really good at it. And we so appreciate you being here today. Thank you guys for being a great audience. Thank you for listening to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. If you appreciated what you heard, please support us with a review or donation. And reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SAG-AFTRA-FOUND. We'd love to hear from you.